This is Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. Welcome. This is the second topic in the lessons episodes. This one is called The Ego and Illusions. The ego is the part of our mind that creates all the illusions that we see and think. This book refers to the ego as our wrong-mindedness, the part of our minds that justify anger, see guilt, worry, and sin as real. In this world, our freedom is freedom of choice. We always have two choices and two voices. Our will is not part of perception at any level and is nothing to do with choice. Our consciousness is the receiving end of our ego and our higher selves. Our higher self being the part of our minds that are connected to spirit. In the section, The Clarification of Terms, which is near the end of the book, It has a part on page 79 in that section that's called mind slash spirit. Paragraph one says, the term mind is used to represent the activating agent of spirit, supplying its creative energy. When the term is capitalized, it refers to God or Christ. So for example, the mind of God or the mind of Christ. Spirit is the thought of God, which he created like himself. The unified spirit is God's one son or Christ. Paragraph two says, in this world, because the mind is split, the sons of God appear to be separate, nor do their minds seem to be joined. In this illusionary state, the concept of an individual mind seems to be meaningful. It is therefore described in the course as if it has two parts, spirit and ego. Paragraph 3 says, Spirit is the part that is still in contact with God through the Holy Spirit, who abides in this part but sees the other as well. The term soul is not used except in direct biblical quotes because of its highly controversial nature. It would, however, be an equivalent of spirit, with the understanding that, being of God, it is eternal and was never born. The other part of the mind is entirely illusionary illusionary, and makes only illusions. Spirit retains the potential for creating, but its will, which is God's, seems to be imprisoned while the mind is not unified. Creation continues unabated because that is the will of God. This will is always unified and therefore has no meaning in this world. It has no opposite and no degrees. Paragraph 5 says the mind can be right or wrong, depending on the voice to which it listens. Right-mindedness listens to the Holy Spirit, forgives the world, and through Christ's vision sees the real world in its place. This is the final vision, the last perception, the condition in which God takes the final step himself. Here, time and illusions end together. And paragraph six says, wrong-mindedness listens to the ego and makes illusions perceiving sin and justifying anger, and seeing guilt, disease, and death as real. Both this world and the real world are illusions because right-mindedness merely overlooks or forgives what never happened. Therefore, it is not the one-mindedness of the Christ mind, whose will is one with God's. The next section I'm going to go to is in the workbook for students. So it's like the biggest section after the original text. And in the workbook for students, on page 467, it actually says, what is the ego? 
So I'm going to read a couple pieces from this. So paragraph one says the ego is idolatry, the sign of limited and separate self, born in a body, doomed to suffer to its end, its life in death. It is the will that sees the will of God as an enemy and takes a form in which it is denied. The ego is the proof that strength is weak and love is fearful. Life is really death and what opposes God alone is true. Paragraph three says, the son of God is egoless. What can he know of madness and of death and of the death of God when he abides in him? What can he know of sorrow and of suffering when he lives in eternal joy? What can he know of fear and punishment, of sin and guilt, of hatred and attack, when all there is surrounding him is everlasting peace, forever conflict-free and undisturbed, in deepest silence and tranquility? And paragraph four says, To know reality is not to see the ego and its thoughts, its works, its acts, its laws, and its beliefs, its dreams, its hopes, its plans for its salvation, and the cost belief, and the cost belief in it entails. In suffering, the price for faith in it is so immense that crucifixion of the Son of God is offered daily at its darkened shrine, and blood must flow before the altar where its sickly followers prepare to die. The Course refers to the ego as the only purpose is fear, and that only the fearful can be egotistical. Something that always helps me clarify where I am at at any given moment, I ask myself, am I feeling happy and content? If my answer is no, then I know that I am fearful of something. I am letting my ego go. I am letting my ego control my mind. Whatever we accept into our minds is reality to us. The reality we create with our ego the ego has no power to oppose the laws of God, but it can interpret them according to what it wants. Guilt plays a large part in our ego minds. Guilt is irrational thought. Guilt feels, sorry, guilt's feelings are always a sign that you do not know this. Guilt's feelings are also preservers of time. They induce fear and retaliation to ensure that the future will be like the past. This is how the ego survives. A major reason why the ego's off-balance state is its lack of discrimination between the body and the thoughts of God. Thoughts of God are unacceptable to the ego because they mean that the ego does not really exist. The body is the ego's home. It relies on body identification. It is, in its, it is its proof that God does not exist. The reasoning that what is real is only what you see feel, touch, and taste. You learn best when you believe what you are learning, what, sorry, what you are trying to learn is of value to you. The ego thinks it has an advantage. It chooses not to commit itself to anything that is eternal because the eternal is a God thing. The ego deliberately sets us up with preoccupations of non-essential and meaningless problems to divert us from the real questions we should answering. When we pursue our problems and entangle ourselves in them, we never ask, what for?
This is a question we must learn to ask ourselves when we encounter everything the ego throws at us. What is the purpose? Whatever it is, it will direct our efforts automatically. When you make a decision of purpose, you've decided about your future efforts, a decision that will remain in effect unless you change your mind. It is reasonable to ask how the mind could ever have made the ego. It is a very good question to ask. Everyone makes an ego or a, a sort of an ego or self of himself, which is very subjective and specific to each individual. He also makes an ego for everyone he meets. This too is very subjective and only an interpretation by another wrong-minded ego. The ego literally lives by comparison. Equality is beyond its grasp. It is becoming easier to see why we do not understand who we are and why we are here. The ego believes it is completely on its own. This is how it thinks it originated. The ego cannot survive without judgment. The ego associates itself with an existence. The ego is born and it dies. The beginning and end philosophy do suggest a made-up reality. Spirit is immortal and immortality is a constant state. It comes down to what do you want to identify with. The ego encompasses fear, sorrow, misery, guilt, anger, and death. Spirit is all the opposite of those. You choose, and you get to choose. God does not restrict your choice or condemn you for it. That would suggest he has an ego, and he's not spirit, if he condemned you for it. In the clarification of terms section, back to where I started, they have a section on page, let me just go back to it, page 81 in that section. One sec, I've got to use both hands. <laughs> oh, here we are. Page 81 is called The Ego Slash The Miracle. In paragraph one, it says, illusions will not last. Their death is sure, and this alone is certain in their world. It is the ego's world because of this. What is the ego? But a dream of what you really are. A thought you are apart from your creator and a wish to be what he created not. It is a thing of madness, not reality at all. A name for namelessness is all it is. A symbol of impossibility. A choice for options that do not exist. We name it but to help us understand that it is nothing by an ancient thought that what is made has immortality. But what could come of this accepted dream, which, like all dreams, can only end in death. Paragraph two says, what is the ego? Nothingness, but in a form that seems like something. In a world of form, the ego cannot be denied for it alone seems real. Yet could God's son, as he created him, abide it alone seems real? Oh, sorry. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm going to do that again. Yet could God's son, as he created him, abide in form or in a world of form? Who asks you to not deny the ego and explain how it arose can be but who 
he who thinks it's real and seeks by definition to ensure that its elusive nature is concealed behind the words that seem to make it so. Paragraph 3 says, There is no definition for a lie that serves to make it true, nor can there be a truth that lies concealed effectively. The ego's unreality is not denied by words, nor is its meaning clear, because its nature seems to have a form. Who can define the undefinable? And yet there is an answer even here. Paragraph 4 says, We cannot really make a definition for what the ego is, but we can say what it is not. And this is shown to us with perfect clarity. It is from this that we deduce all the ego is. Look at its opposite and you see the only answer that is meaningful. So the next part I'm going to address is the illusion part of this lesson. So illusions. Illusions are all that we see, feel, taste, touch, and hear in this world. It is the ego's creations that are the illusions we live by. You act accordingly to a particular order of needs you establish. This also depends on your perception of what you are. A sense of separation from your creator is the only lack you really need to correct. This sense of lack occurred when we distorted our perception of truth, then perceived ourselves as lacking. The idea that we could have more than one need was the start of the development of the ego and the illusions we created along with it. The fear of God was the next step, and the strangest one of all, to be afraid of what we truly are. Reality cannot threaten anything but illusions, since reality can only uphold the truth. The very fact that the will of God can be feared demonstrates that you are afraid of what you are. Reality will tell you that it is not the will of God you are afraid of but yours. If you do not know what your reality is, why would you be so sure it is to be feared? It stands to reason that you are judging and comparing two things. One you created and the other an awareness you have not accepted or totally grasped. Yet, you have imprisoned your will beyond your own awareness where it remains but cannot help you. The Holy Spirit's function is to sort out the true from the false in your mind. She can see what you have hidden. She is part of your higher self and can, and can be accessed by just asking for her help. Her perception of your mind brings its reality to you. She will help you to remember who you are. The only source of fear in this process is what you think you will lose. There is no sacrifice here. It will be a letting go of what you thought was your will to replace it with what is your will. You'll always get what you need. You won't necessarily get what you want. It depends on the question. Sometimes we don't want to ask because we are afraid that we might actually get it. That is why we persistently ask the wrong part of ourselves for assistance. Our egos will tell us what we want, want, sorry, will tell us what we want to hear and therefore giving us the illusion of safety. You cannot be safe from truth unless you live in truth. Reality is the only safety. Your will is exactly the same as God's. 
the separation is nothing more than the belief that it is different. It is possible for you to deny it is possible for you to deny the facts, but it is impossible for you to change them. The fact that God is love does not require belief, but it does require acceptance. You cannot change laws you did not make, and the laws of happiness were created for you, not by you. The Holy Spirit, if asked for anything, will respond. But no response ever given by her will be one that increases fear. It is possible that her answer will not be heard. It is impossible that it will be lost. There are many answers you have already received, but have not yet heard. They are waiting for you. So tomorrow, as I come to the end of this section, so tomorrow, I want you to start kind of the same way we did last time. Start your day with a declaration of what you want it to look like, then go about your day making it happen. So we're always going to repeat these steps in each lesson. So we're kind of joining together all the lessons. Pay attention to your thoughts now. If you find yourself judging others, making negative comments, or feeling fearful, tell yourself that it is your lower self or ego talking not who you truly are. Correct the thoughts and replace them with positive ones. You will notice over time, if it hasn't already begun, that a tiny voice in your head will start correcting those ego thoughts. You may even start a conversation with your higher self trying to help sort out what this reality, what is this reality. I laugh out loud when I start talking to that voice. I find myself saying, I know, I know, that was wrong, and I'm sorry, I'll let it go. (laughs) The other part of this lesson is taking a hard look at what we think is real. Illusions are built on the foundation of fear. Learning to let go of fear is the first step in experiencing this world from a reality-based perception instead of an ego-based one. Illusions are things we create. I started working on this by addressing what I am most fearful of. I've always had a connection to the spirit world, and it has sometimes encroached on my space. I created fear from this. I left lights on at night so I wouldn't see the shadows and experience the fear I let in. I asked the Holy Spirit for help. I asked her for assurance and peace of mind. I got it. I no longer fear any of that. I sleep in total darkness, unafraid of anything. This was one of my biggest affirmations that this book is life-altering and that the lessons were our guide to peace and awareness of what truly is real. Next week, I will talk very specifically about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. I will utilize the extensions of the course, again, to help us explore this and clarify what she is here to help us with. So until next week, this is our journey together. Let's keep finding our way. Have a beautiful week, and until next week, always love, Denise.